0: Hey, a lot of good stuff going on. do want to say thank you for being with us. Uh, You heard some of those announcements. We we launched last Sunday the Discipleship tab inside the Church Center app, which has the Bible reading plan uh, that we're trying to get everybody in the church to go through, but also some great prayer resources that are in there for you to kind of start your year off walking with Jesus more closely than ever before. Also, as you probably know, COVID is kind of on the increase right now, so we just want to encourage you to be as smart as you possibly can. You know, don't do anything stupid if you are coughing and you got a fever and all that stuff. You know, try to be careful. Stay at home. Uh, do your part to try to slow the spread as much as possible. We believe God is a great God. He's a healing God. And he's also, I believe, we're on the back end of the whole COVID pandemic to begin with. So, uh, And if you know anybody who is dealing with COVID, let us know. So we'll be praying for them and try to minister to them the best way we possibly can. And besides that, turn to your Bibles to John chapter 5 as we continue the Power of One series. And we're gonna walk through a couple different things the next few months. And some of the things that are gonna be coming up is next, or next week's, next week is the power of one word and how one word can change your life, but one word from God can change your life forever. Following, we're gonna talk about one person and how one person can make a dramatic change in the world for Jesus, for his kingdom. Last week, we're gonna talk about one more try. But as we're turning to John chapter 5, you know, it's interesting. I don't know about you, but our kids are starting to learn how to drive. RJ, last year we were deer hunting. I let him drive in a, in a field, which was a complete mistake. He was more concerned with the radio than he was which direction we were going. And so as you're learning how to drive, especially like with the girls, I used to teach them that if you get your tires off the road onto the shoulder You have to be careful when you're turning it back because that shoulder becomes a rut and it will control which way you go. So some of you maybe have driven a car like this, where your car is stuck in the rut, and once you're in the rut, it's very difficult to get out. Or you know this one where they're stuck, and so if you think about a rut, a rut is nothing more than a path that's been rode on over and over and over and over and over and over over again. And as cars continue to ride on the path, whether it's dirt or even asphalt, as it begins to be this pattern develop, it begins to control the direction and the destiny the vehicles go in. Once you kind of get in the rut, it's kind of hard to get out of the rut because it controls the direction of your tires. And many times in life, we get stuck in ruts. And one person said, a rut is nothing more than a grave with both ends kicked out. You're stuck in this place that's going nowhere, or your life and your decisions and your relationships and your goals just go in the direction that's already been a pattern that's developed in your life. So many times with not just believers, but I believe all people, we get stuck in a rut because we follow the same patterns we've been following for most of our entire lives. And we're praying for God to get us out of the rut. But sometimes God wants you just to take a step to get out of the rut to start a new direction and a new path. So maybe for you it's relationships, that your marriage has been stuck in a rut for years. Maybe it's your friendships have been stuck in a rut for years. Maybe it's your goals and your dreams that you wanted to achieve and stuck in a rut for years. Whatever it may be. Once you find yourself going in the same direction over and over and over again and nothing changes, you have to ask yourself, am I stuck in a rut? In John chapter 5, it says it this way. It says, Now there in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades, in these lay a multitude, everybody say multitude, Means your group, your squad, your friends that you surround yourself with of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he'd already been there a long time. He said to him, Do you want to be healed? Now, what kind of question is that from Jesus to a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years, who's laying at a multitude of people. They said there are anywhere from a couple of hundred people. They think this is during Passover, thousands of invalids laying down at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus has the audacity to ask him, do you want to be healed? Like that's sarcasm one-on-one. Literally everyone there is sick. Everyone there is blind. Everyone there is lame. And Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? Meaning, do you have the faith to change the rut you were in? And here's his answer. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. Referring to an angel they used to believe would come and stir the waters, and the first one that got in got healed, kind of like the first one gets gets the prize. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and walked. Now, irony is, Jesus asked him a question Do you want to be healed? The man doesn't say yes or no, he just gives him a list of reasons why he can't be healed. Jesus ignores his excuses and his reasons and heals him anyway. You need to know that Jesus does not care about your excuses, he cares about your faith. And he will overlook your excuses to find a mustard seed. Of faith. See, y'all need to realize some of you have been walking in the same pattern for 38 years. Some of you, like this invalid, whatever your sickness may be, whatever your habits may be, whatever your addictions may be, whatever your relationships may be, some of you have been in the same rut for 38 weeks, 38 months, 38 years. In the rut you think of, you've become so accustomed to the inside of that rut, it's become what you think the walk with Jesus is supposed to be. I'm here to tell you, God did not call you to walk in a rut. God called you to walk in the promised land. And until you realize that you're in a rut, you'll never get out of the rut. Jesus' question, do you want to be healed, was his way of saying, don't you realize you are stuck in a rut don't you realize that you're stuck in a grave with both ends kicked up don't you realize there's no life in the rut don't you realize there's no direction in this pattern that you're going don't you realize That the Son of Man has come for so much more than just a bunch of sick people to lay around a pool hoping an angel shows up and stirs the water and you beat everybody else in. I'm telling you, some of you are looking for a supernatural expression for God to save you. And the Son of Man has already showed up and given you what he promised you, which is healing, salvation, and a hope and purpose in him. You do not need to wait on an angel. The Son of Man has given you his word. It's time to get up. Walk and arise. But the problem is you can't get up until you know you're laying down. You can't get up until you realize you've been asleep and slumbering spirit. You can't get up until you realize what's actually going on. And what's interesting is one commentator said with this scripture, he said an eastern beggar, when Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? An eastern beggar would give up a really good salary if he was healed. I mean, he couldn't beg for money anymore. And in Jewish customs, they'd make really good money because of the, the law would make them give towards them. And so he asked them, do you want to be healed? And it could be a question of, would you rather have freedom or comfort? Would you rather have healing or provision? And sometimes you have to choose in the kingdom of God what you want. Would you rather manage your bondage and get low income, or would you rather, whether it's freedom and have to provide for yourself. And so here's the, here's the question. Here's what you need to look at is this. When you start going in the same direction, when life starts repeating itself over and over and over again, when the same outcomes keep coming every year, no matter what resolutions you make, no matter what goals you set, if the outcome is exactly the same, when life starts repeating itself, you better recognize the patterns. What that means is so many people are consumed with the outcome of things. They're consumed with the outcome of their goals. They're consumed with achieving X, Y, Z. And the outcome does not matter if the process is wrong. If you get the right process, you'll get the right outcome. The problem is we live in such a quick hitter society. The outcome's all that's important. We'll skip the process To get an outcome. But I don't know about you, but do you remember in school when they used to teach you two plus two equals what? Oh, yeah, y'all went to Wilson. Four. Two plus two equals four. If I don't like the answer four, I can't change the outcome. I can't change the answer unless I change one of the variables. See, the pattern is two plus two equals four. Four. The outcome is four. So if you don't like the outcome of your life, if you don't like the outcome of your relationships, if you don't like the outcome of your goals, if you don't like the outcome of your career, maybe the outcome is not the problem. Maybe the pattern that you've created in your life is the problem. If you don't like the fact you've been married four or five times, maybe the outcome is not marriage, or maybe the problem is not the outcome of marriage. Maybe the problem is you keep picking Loser plus you equals bad marriage. (laughs) Like maybe marriage, oh, you know, I don't believe in marriage. I I just don't, marriage is just not, I don't believe in marriage. No, no, marriage isn't the problem. Marriage is a gift from God. The problem is you kept having a really bad pattern. And if you want to change the outcome You can change you to become a new you and quit picking these people. Find somebody to pick your next spouse for you. (laughs) Like we know that you don't have a good picker. Let somebody else pick. (laughs) Maybe it's your career. Maybe you keep, no matter what you do, you end up in a bad career or a bad job. And you keep blaming the system. You keep blaming the man. You keep blaming all these things. But maybe the problem isn't the job. Maybe the problem is, you're not showing a good work ethic in preparing yourself for the next season of your career. See, you have to look at the pattern. The problem is very rarely the outcome. The problem is the pattern. And when you realize the Bible is a bunch of patterns over and over and over again that man gets in a pattern of negativity, man gets in a pattern of sin, and then Jesus has to show up. And when Jesus shows up, he exists to change the patterns. Miracles happen Every single time, patterns change. We say, oh, it's a miracle. No, no, What happened was we got the loser out. God bless you with somebody new. Now there's a new situation for you. Listen to me. The pattern is the problem, and the solution is changing the pattern. Well, Pastor, what about generational curses and all that stuff? Yeah, oh, I believe in that. But here's what a generational curse or blessing is. They're patterns that you pick up from your mom or your dad, either biologically, mentally, emotionally, taught, environmental, whatever it may be. They're patterns you pick up that are either negative or positive. Positive patterns you pick up from your family are are generational blessings. Maybe it's about how they handled money. Maybe it's a generational pattern of faith. Maybe it's a generational pattern of the house of God is important that we will flourish in that house of God. Maybe it's a general, generational pattern of loving people and serving Maybe it's a generational pattern of career choices. But then you also have generational patterns that are negative. Generational patterns of addiction, broken marriages, all these other types. Of things. See, what happens is until you recognize there's a pattern, you can't change the outcome. You can set all the goals and achievements and dreams you want to change and all the new, new Year's resolutions you want to. The outcome is not the problem. When you start seeing life repeat itself, slow down and ask yourself, just like this guy, what's your multitude? Maybe it's because you keep hanging out in the same environments with the same people, making the same decisions, and you're mad at God because nothing's changing. Maybe if you sit back and you wonder, what decisions and what people and what environments are equaling up to the outcome of my life that I don't like? And when you start looking at that, you can say, okay, if two plus two equals four, but I don't want a number four life, I want a number eight life, I need to change my environment and my friends differently to equal something differently. See, the pattern is what needs to be broken. The pattern of 38 years of thinking, I'm an invalid, I'm paralyzed, I can't do anything, I need somebody else to help me get in the water, the the, the pattern is the problem. And until you realize the pattern is the problem, you can't change the outcome of your life. And so what Jesus does, he comes to break the pattern. And so before you can break the pattern, you have to realize you have to believe it before you can see it. He says, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? Which is him trying to provoke something on the inside of him to actually believe he can be healed before he can see it. See, so many people don't realize, and this is, not, this is not prosperity, gospel, faith talk, none of that stuff. This is not name it, claim it. This is faith. Faith is believing something in here and then seeing it with your spiritual eyes before it ever comes into being. And until you believe it here, you can't see it out there. He's saying, do you believe you can be healed? Because if you believe it, then you can see it, then we can achieve it. But if you don't believe it, if you don't believe the outcome can change, you'll never see the new pattern that can develop, and you'll always be going through the same cycles over and over and over again. Some of you need to see yourselves as the righteousness of Christ. Some of you need to see yourself as being debt-free. Some of you need to see yourselves as being healed and made whole by the blood of Jesus. Some of you need to see yourselves with a healthy marriage that is an example and a model for your kids and your grandkids to come. Some of you need to see yourselves as a business owner and a business leader. Some of you need to see yourselves as free from all addiction and all chemicals and all things that hold you back. Some of you need to see yourselves because once you see yourselves, you see a new outcome, you can change the pattern. See, the power of visualization is powerful in sports. If you ever watch a pregame for football, you'll watch these pro athletes or basketball football. They will literally walk across the entire field. They will go through plays by themselves, visualizing a play before they ever run the play. They'll visualize visualize themselves going through the motions and running through scenarios in their minds. They'll see it before they ever achieve it. And why that is powerful, they've done research it actually changes your physical, logical stature. They did research. Get this. If, you're, if your new year's resolution was to get in shape, get this. If you don't get anything else, write this down. They did research. Two controlled groups. One, they sent to the gym three times a week. The other group, they made them sit at home and visualize themselves working out. The group that went to the gym, there was a 30% increase in muscle mass and loss of fat. The group that stayed at home and visualized themselves pumping iron, saying, yeah, I look good. Yeah, that's a good curl. That's a good sit-up. Yeah, That the the group that visualized it, there was a 13.5% increase. The group that did both, there was over a 50% increase. They also researched it changed their neurological functions as they visualized themselves Going to the workouts, it changed their minds to actually begin thinking and living a healthier lifestyle. So some of y'all could take that and say, you don't have to go to the gym. You get a 13.5% increase by doing it on your program at home. <laughs> but if you want to be an achiever, if I can visualize it, if I can see it, I can achieve it, and I can overcome some of you, if, you're, if you want to be a business owner, some of you need to visualize yourself getting up each morning, getting your cup of coffee, and going to your office to manage your own business. You need to feel it. You need to sit down in a chair and feel it. Feel the stress of running a business. <laughs> feel the joys of running. Some of you, if you deal with addictions, you need to see yourself as being completely free. You need to see yourself going back home to mom and dad's house for Thanksgiving where you weren't welcome because you kept stealing their money to get drugs. You need to see yourself as being respectable again in the community. For some of you, if you're a broken marriage, you need to see yourself as married again to somebody who will love you as Christ loves the church. You need to see yourself before you can believe it. you got to see it. Seeing changes the heart it changes what you can believe for you need to see it what do you need to see you need to see yourself and that's what's so great about the word of god the word of god tells you how to see yourself read the word believe it see it but jesus didn't just stop there he told the man the man says hey i know that sounds great jesus but he gives a bunch of excuses and what i've learned is we are really good at making excuses I used to joke with RJ, in a basketball game, something will happen. I'm like, dude, what happened? He'll make a thousand excuses. I'm like, dude, do you just keep one of those in your pocket for later? Like, just keep a a pre-made excuse ready. Like, and it doesn't matter if it's marriage counseling. It doesn't matter if it's financial stuff. Every person I talk to that is unwilling to make the change they need to change the outcome uses excuses as a reason not to change the pattern. And it's usually an excuse that stands between where you are and where you want to be. And this man begins making excuse after excuse after excuse. And the reason excuses make our ruts. Excuses make our addiction. Excuses make bad marriages. Excuses make financial stress bearable. They make comfort zones tolerable. Because you have a thousand reasons why you're stuck there, and you neglect responsibility over to someone else. Just look at some of these excuses. The man says, I have no man, and all the single ladies said, amen. <laughs> I have no man to help me. Which means I lack the resources or the benefits to be healed, Jesus. Well, when the water is stirred up, meaning that the conditions have to be just right for me to be healed, Jesus. Jesus. He'd been invalid for 38 years. He was blaming his circumstances on his past circumstances. Or while I'm coming another steps into the water first, he was blaming others for where he was at. Like they're the same excuses we use. Well, well, why are you going through this? Well, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. You know, my ex-wife did this, my new wife did this, and this happened. No, why are you blaming everybody else for your pattern? Because you can't control everybody else, but you can control the pattern that you choose to live your life by. Well, you know, if the economy was better or this was better, no, no. You can't blame the circumstances for your pattern. And so what happens is we use excuses to prevent us from moving forward because they actually like staying in the rut we're in. Because at least the rut we're in, we know all four walls of the rut we're in. We at least know the direction we're going. It takes zero faith to stay in the rut. It takes complete faith to trust God on a new path. Right. And just like this invalid, what happens is, i the to dig a little bit, is your multitude will validate your excuses. It's no coincidence that this man had been an invalid for 38 years Yet all the people he surrounded himself with are invalids. All the people he surrounded himself with had the exact same four excuses. They've all been sitting there for years waiting for somebody to put them in the water. They've been sitting there waiting for somebody to see the angel stir the water so they could be the first one in. See, what happens is when your multitude is going the same direction you're going, they will affirm the wrong direction you're going. Like, it's it's crazy to me how people can't see it that if you're living your life and it's producing an outcome, if you just look at the people you're surrounded by, it will tell you the future you're going to occupy. So, I had a guy years ago, a couple years ago, he had come to the church a little bit. He was a college kid, he liked to party. I think Aaron Howard had invited him. The guy was like, hey, man, I'm going to the bar. Aaron said, why don't you come to church? He said, well, dude, it's like a Friday night, like the bar. He said, dude, you can go to the bar afterwards. We're going to go to the church, and we're going to play hide-and-go-seek, which co- no college kids play hide-and-go-seek. <laughs> he comes to church. I don't know what happened until the next staff meeting because in this back area, the ceiling had caved in. I felt like Mission Impossible. Somebody broke in and stole everything through the ceiling. So I'm in staff meeting. I said, does anybody really know what like, happened in that back room? Like The ceiling came down. Looks like somebody broke in, and there's crickets, and all of a sudden, one of the guys said, mm, I'll fix it. I was like, well, what happened? He said, ah, I'll fix it. I said, what happened? He said, well, we were bored, and we played hide-and-go-seek. And this guy came. He was about to go to the bar, but he was going to play hide-and-go-seek. And he wanted to really win, so he climbed up in the ceiling. Then he fell through the ceiling, but brought the ceiling with him. So one of the guys was like, well, this is crazy. I'm like, no, no, this one that kid will never forget that night at church. Much better than the bar. (laughs) A couple years later, I see him at Zaxby's. I said, bro, where where you been at? He said, well, man, I'm like, I'm going out on Saturday nights. I don't want to be that guy that goes out on Saturday nights to the bar, then comes to church on Sunday. I don't want to be the hypocrite. I said, man, I I appreciate that. There's enough hypocrites in church. Believe me, I appreciate that. I believe the fact you want to honor God and, and not live two different lives. But if the only multitude you're surrounded by are people that think getting drunk every single Saturday night and living your life however you want to, if you're only surrounded by those multitudes, you'll never, ever see a different way of living. So at least if you're in church, you have people affirming the way of Jesus. At least if you're in church, you have people affirming another way. At least if you're in church, you have people affirming you and loving you. If you don't have that, you'll start thinking the other way is normal. And so when you start surrounding yourself with multitudes that are dealing with the same sins you're dealing with, you'll start thinking that's normal and you'll start justifying it by different words and even using the word of God to justify where you're at because you think it's normal because your multitude is telling you this is the way to live. But if you have another multitude, there's a tension. i got to tell college kids, when you go away and you go to church or you go to college, make sure you still go to church. I don't care if you're living for the devil. You need at least a group of people that shine a light in your darkness. You at least need a group of people that show you there's another way to living, that what you're living may be normal for college kids, but it's not normal for Jesus. It may be normal for 20-year-olds, but it's not normal for the rest of us. You need a multitude because your multitude will validate your excuses which then prolongs your deliverance. And some of you already know your multitude. They're the people that when you start hitting a hard spot, they comfort you in your difficult moments instead of challenge you in your difficult moments. And we all need comforted in moments. But you don't need to be comforted when you're in the middle of sin. You need to be challenged to get out of your sin. You're comforted when you go through a storm or a trial. You're challenged when you go through the ruts you created through your sin. We need to get back. One of my greatest prayers I pray all the time is the Holy Spirit has two voices, a voice of comfort and a voice of conviction. And when you're praying for people or you're ministering to people, it's very vital. Your job is not to minister. Your job is to be the mouth and hands and feet of the Holy Spirit to minister to other people. And so people are going through something. I have to ask myself, God, in this moment, are you trying to comfort them, or are you trying to convict them? Because if I comfort them when the Holy Spirit's trying to convict them, I disrupt the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. But if I convict them when the Holy Spirit's trying to comfort them, I disrupt the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. So my job is to make sure I'm doing But what happens is when you have a multitude, they'll keep on comforting you. When the Holy Spirit's trying to convict you, and you'll stay on the same trajectory, going for a crash in your life, because there's no one who loves you enough to tell you the truth. And it is not comfort that sets you free, it is the truth that sets you free. And we live in a day and age where everybody wants to comfort everybody because what we really want to say is, when I comfort somebody else, it makes me feel good about myself. And I'd rather feel good about myself and watch their life continually spiral out of control than to watch them be set free with a little bit of pain. I'll tell you, there is no freedom without a little bit of pain, ever. Ego, pride, physical. If you go to the doctor and you need surgery, there's a little bit of pain, but there's healing on the other side. In the kingdom of God, it's the same way. There's a little bit of pain, but the long run is freedom, 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 freedom. But much like this man, if your multitude is speaking the opposite words of God, you'll keep going in the opposite direction of God. Because you can make an excuse or you can make a change, but you can't make both. You can make an excuse or you can make a change, but you can't make both. And if you want to make a change, you need to start asking yourself, what excuses do I use to validate and justify my sin in my life? What excuses do I use to justify and validate my bad marriage? What excuses do I ju- use to justify my bad financial status? What excuses do I use? What excuses do you keep using over and over again, "Well, my daddy did this to me, or my mama did this to me or this, no, 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 I don't need your excuses." Jesus said, "Listen. listen. Jesus didn't even listen to his excuses. He didn't say, okay, well, let's start with point one. Point one is, uh, you have no man. Well, you know, I'm here, I'm your man. Number two, no, he didn't even respond. See, Jesus could care less about your excuses. Excuses are an instrument of hell to disrupt your life. God is not looking for excuses. God is looking for faith. And if he's looking for faith, just a little bit of faith will do it. He didn't need a whole lot of faith. See, we think, if I can just get enough faith to overcome. No, a faith of a mustard seed. This young man, 38 years old, probably maybe 40, he says, no, no, all the excuses. Jesus found a little mustard seed of faith in the middle of all his excuses, and he was able to save him and heal him in a little bitty mustard seed. So that should encourage me that even in the midst of my excuses, God can find faith. But my job is to move the excuses out of the way so God can see my faith. Well, you know, Pastor. You know, I well, I really wasn't brought up in a spirit-filled church; as more traditional denomination. I don't care about your excuse. I don't care what doctrines dismiss the living, active power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That may be what you need to break out of the pattern that you're walking in. See, patterns are nothing more than creating dead men walking on earth. Jesus says, "Whoa, okay, I see your excuses. I see a bit of faith." Jesus' response. Get up, take up your bed and walk. Get up, take up your bed and walk. Now, I, some of y'all are argumentative enough, you would probably tell Jesus, Jesus, I just told you my four excuses. I can't, because the water's not stirred, I don't have to Get up, take up your bed and walk. Get up, take up your bed and walk. What that tells me is Jesus is condemning the fact he's been sitting there for 38 years. What also tells me he had a bed, he was way too comfortable in his pattern than he should have been. And the third thing I realized is Jesus, his solution to him getting out of the rut was for him to get up and take a step in the right direction. Oh, but we want a Holy Ghost party. I need God to touch me. I need an angel to stir the waters. I need this. Then I'll get up. No, no. Jesus get up. Then you'll get healed. See, sometimes your healing is not in the rut. Sometimes when you step out of the rut, that's when your healing takes place because that is the step of faith. And some of you have not taken a step in 38 years. Some of y'all have been lukewarm Christians for 38 years. Some of you have been in in a marriage that's been lukewarm for 38 years. Some of you have been dealing with the same addictions and problems and sins for 38 years. You know why? You're waiting for God to take the step for you instead of you taking the step. So maybe for you that step is you step out of the rut of your marriage to actually Go to marriage counseling. Well, you know, I, you know Pastor, like, you know, I don't really want people in my business. Well, so you want to keep things going the same direction they're going rather than have somebody help you recognize the patterns so you can change the outcome. Well, well Pastor, I, I really don't like people in my, my financial business. I had, had somebody who was in a major financial problem. I said, hey, man, we got some great people really good to finances, they can help you. Well, Pastor, that's just too much. I'm a real private person. Okay, so you're going to be a private bankrupt person. Instead of taking a step so somebody can recognize the patterns so we can change the outcome. Some of you have been walking in a lukewarm walk with Jesus because your pattern is to get up, put on a church clothes, put on a church face, go to church on Sunday, and apply nothing throughout the rest of the week. Pastor, you know, I'm just I'm a busy person. Okay, you can be a busy, lukewarm, spiritually dead person. Or you can take a step to follow Jesus. No one stumbles accidentally into following Jesus in discipleship. It's all an intentional step by step by step. For some of you, it is time to get up and take that first step. Because what I, I love about this scripture, it's not just what Jesus says or does. It's this. Bethesda actually means place of mercy. It was a place where the pool, it was right before the temple, and all the people that would travel to Israel to make sacrifices in the temple would wash all their sacrificial animals. It was absolutely disgusting. It was full of dirt and mud and muck. That's why the angel would come and stir all that up so that way they could be healed. But this place of mercy also could be translated covenantal love. Also, can be translated loving kindness, but it was this place of mercy that this man found his pattern changed. See, mercy is not getting what you actually deserve, meaning the pattern two plus two equals four, but God will say two plus two now equals five. He actually gives you more than you deserve when you find yourself in a place of mercy, and this is a place of mercy. This is a place. of This is a pool of Bethesda. We worship and make sacrifices to our God in praise and worship. We sacrifice our pride and our ego. We sacrifice our time to honor him. But as the Spirit of God moves, he starts saying, don't just sit there, get up, take up your bed, and walk. See, there's a part for God, and there's a part for you. And my prayer is that this morning patterns begin to break. I don't know what your pattern is. I don't know if, Toy and I come from generations of messed up family. We've had to break some patterns in our family's life so our kids start a new pattern. For you, I don't know if it's in your marriage, I don't know if it's in your walk with Jesus, I don't know if it's an addiction. I don't know if it's in sin. I don't know if it's in your body with sickness or disease. I don't know what it is. But patterns have to stop. And they only stop when the word of, word of God goes forth and you take a step in the right direction. So might, well, if you all stand to your feet all over the room. If I can have the whole worship team come back. I know I'm changing it up just a little bit. We're going to go back into that, that song they just finished up with, where something has to break. And, and this, is the cha- this is the challenging part for you. You can sit there and continue the pattern you're in, or you can take a step this morning. And if you take a step, it's not just a step. I believe something happens when we physically respond to the Spirit of God. So this is the first step of many steps. And this is the step. We're going to go back into worship. And as they get into worship, I'm going to come down from the staff down here with me. And I want you to take a step down front, just as a sign to God, I'm stepping out of this rut in a new direction. That it's your job to trust God with that new direction and God's job to guide you in the direction. And it's our job as a church to point you in the right direction with the right steps to take. But I simply want to lay my hands on you and pray for you, and pray that the Spirit of God would stir the waters of your heart, stir the mental capacities you have to begin seeing the patterns so you can begin breaking some things in the Spirit, so you begin walking them out of your flesh. And as that happens, I believe God will begin doing amazing things in your marriage, in your life in your finances, in your relationships, in your family, in your career, and your jobs. But it takes God speaking and you stepping. God speaking and you stepping.